0: The Financial Sense Lifetime Planning Program. Here's your host, Jim Poplava.
1: Well, the statistics are out on most American marriages. About 50% of them will end in divorce. How does that play out financially for both parties? Well, that's the discussion of today's interview. Joining me on the program. Is Karen Kobe, and she's author of When Happily Ever After Ends. And Karen, I'd like to talk about what this country has gone through. We're, you know, at one point in 2020, we were locked in our homes. Uh, We were, you know, homeschooling our kids because the schools were closed. Could you uh, put some color on what effect this had on divorce rates, if any?
0: I think what history is going to show is that the divorce rate due to COVID has definitely gone up. I mean, people were in a pressure cooker situation where they had to live with their spouse 24-7. Their kids were home. the kids had to be homeschooled. Everything, the whole world was in chaos to a certain level. And that if your marriage was already on the rocks to begin with, that probably didn't help. So a lot more people were getting divorced once some of the restrictions were lifted.
1: And what about uh, what we're seeing now over the last year? We've seen, I mean, it's hard to believe the last year you could have got mortgage rates in the upper 2% level. Now they're at seven. The stock market is down 20 to 30%. Uh, What about the financial impact that we've seen with the market on marriages?
0: It's so interesting because that tends to have the opposite effect on the divorce rate not that it makes marriages any happier i mean statistically speaking money problems are one of the biggest things money problems and infidelity are one of the biggest causes of divorce right so the fact that the stock market is tanking and that interest rates are are going up isn't making people any happier but it is causing some people to pause and say can i afford to get divorced right now is this a good idea for me to get divorced when, you know, our IRAs, our retirement accounts are down, I don't know if I can refinance the house, it becomes an issue. And I've been in this business long enough, I, I hate to date myself, but I I was here in 2008 when the housing market tanked and the stock market took a hit and people were too scared to get divorced. But for what's interesting is depending on your situation, now could be the worst time to get divorced or the best time to get divorced. Just depends on your finances.
1: I want to talk about a change that affected divorces, and that was the Trump tax bill that affected alimony. I wonder if we could just revisit that for a moment, sure, and uh, bring us up to date of where that stands and how that's impacting divorce settlements.
0: It's definitely had an impact, um, and probably disproportionately on the middle class because people who are higher income earners, it doesn't, it it hasn't affected them. Quite as much. If you've got a certain level of money, support doesn't tend to be as big, you know, as big of a part of your divorce. Although it can be. Um, but what's happened is that since the person who pays support now also has to pay the taxes on support, it makes it less attractive to pay support. Not that anybody ever wanted to pay their ex-spouse to support them for years after the divorce, like let's just put that out there. Nobody ever wanted to do that. However, um, if that's part of what the law is, and it has been for a very long time, who pays the taxes on that money can make a very big difference on how much money the person pays and how much money the other person gets. And what's happened is a lot of laws across the country have had to be rejiggered to figure out, okay, now that alimony isn't tax deductible to the payer, how do we rearrange the percentages and the numbers and what have you so that one person doesn't get a windfall and the other one gets you know, a big hit?
1: And has there been any attempt to change that because of the disruption it caused?
0: Not that I know of. I mean, there might be things happening on Capitol Hill behind the scenes that I know it's hard to believe, but that I'm not privy to. But nothing has come out at all. And it's, it's up to the states. Divorce typically tends to be governed by state law, but taxes are federal, right? The, if at least the federal taxes are governed by federal law. And so this was a federal law change and it applies across the country. So as far as I know, nobody's trying to bring that back, although it, it's really too bad because it made divorces easier to settle.
1: So let's talk about something else that we see. You wrote an article, Technology and Divorce, Don't Let Technology Be Used Against You. And one of the things that uh, we were involved in, I was assisting a client go through a divorce. I had worked with her attorney and I said, you need to do a background search and property search on assets because her former husband traveled a lot. And what we came up with is that she found out she owned uh, or their marriage between them. They had two condos in Florida that I guess he forged her signature and and she never knew about. So let's talk about technology and how that can impact a divorce.
0: Technology can have a huge impact today. And there's two, um, I'll call it categories of technology. One is the technology that like the mistakes that happen because... You don't know what you're doing. You're not paying attention. So into this category falls things like you didn't change your passwords, and your spouse has been reading your email for the last six months while your divorce is pending. That's a fixable mistake, um, and it should—it's something that every divorcing person should do sooner rather than later. On the other hand, um, you've got the the technology like the spyware, the cyber stalking, the cyber spying that happens in a certain category of people with a certain group of people, that's a whole different animal. But that's also something you have to be aware of too, because if your spouse seems to know where you are all the time and you don't know how that's happened, technology can be used to spy on us all. We all know it on some level, but we don't think about it. Well, when you're going through a divorce, if funny things keep happening, unexplained coincidences, your spouse just shows up somewhere or seems to know what you have in your bank account or what you're doing or who you're talking to. You know, you don't wanna be paranoid, but it is cause for concern. And it's something that should make your ears perk up and, and have you think, huh, maybe I should have somebody take a look at what's in my computer. Is there spyware in there? Is there a tracking device in my car? Is my cell phone GPS turned on so that my spouse can track me? all of those things happen.
1: Yeah, because we recently had a case where this woman's husband, uh, she had a tracking device on his car. So she knew exactly where he was. So is that because you have a phone? Or is it because you have to put something in a car? Can you also do the same thing with tracking on a phone? Yep. Uh, I mean, uh, it's, it's amazing the stuff that they have out there today.
0: Yeah, it it is amazing. And I don't pretend to be a technology expert, but I've seen some really crazy things. And so the the questions that you need to ask yourself, if if you're worried about that kind of thing, you need to start asking yourself, number one, are there does my spouse know more than there's than he or she should know? Like then that there was any way they could know without using technology. You start looking at all of your devices because they can all be implicated and affected. You need to ask yourself, is your spouse technologically savvy? I mean, just because he or she is doesn't mean that they will use technology against you, but if they have the ability to do that and it's something they're comfortable with, it just kind of makes it a little bit more likely that that's the direction that they're going to go in. Whereas if your spouse doesn't even know how to text message okay, the the chances that they did something wonky on your computer with spyware are probably, you know, it's probably less likely.
1: And let's say you're in a situation, the marriage is failing, you're thinking of getting a divorce, mutual agreement. What about an amicable settlement? How do you get to that point rather than duking it out or fighting, like, for example, the you know, Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. I think that divorce is still ongoing.
0: I think it is. And it's it's just crazy. They are still fighting after years. And I have to tell you, this is another way that COVID has impacted divorces across the country right now, is that it's made the court systems, which were never speedy to begin with, even slower. So if you're fighting, it's going to take you even longer to get through your divorce, which isn't good news, right? So that's why having an amicable divorce makes even more sense now than it ever did before. But to get to that point of having an amicable divorce, it doesn't just happen. I can't begin to tell you the number of people who have called me up or, you know, contacted me and said, Hey, I want an amicable divorce. Everything is, my spouse is going to go along with it. Everything is going to be fine. And then it turns into a complete nightmare, right? So you have to differentiate between what I call magical thinking, like, oh, yeah, everything's going to be fine, and something that's based in reality. And if you want an amicable divorce that's based in reality, you need. To be educated about how this process works, you need to be prepared and you need to make a plan because it's like anything else in life. If you don't make a plan, you are not as likely to get to wherever it is that you want to be at the end of your divorce than you are if you do have a plan. So planning, preparation, education all make a huge difference in whether you end up at the end of your divorce where you want to be or just wherever the wind took you.
1: We work a lot in retirement where either you've had a divorce or let's say one spouse ends up being the survivor. So they get remarried where let's say the new spouse also has a family and children and you have separate networks. How do you handle that in case let's say that second marriage doesn't work? People
0: who are thinking about a second marriage, whether it's because their first marriage ended in death or divorce, it is so, so, so important to have a prenuptial agreement. I mean, period, full stop. I don't care that it's not romantic. It's realistic. And it's not about you and thinking that your marriage is, you know, thinking your marriage is going to fail before it even started. That's not the point. The truth is every marriage ends. Everyone. Everyone. It's going to either end in death or divorce, and a prenuptial agreement addresses both of those circumstances. So if one spouse, let's, you know, predeceases the other one, one spouse dies first, then whoever is left, if both spouses had children from prior marriages, you don't want your spouse to end up in a big financial fight with your children from your first marriage, and then you know the whole family blows up, it can be a huge mess. So you want to have a prenuptial agreement that sets out really clearly what's going to happen if your marriage ends in divorce and if your marriage ends in death so that everybody is taken care of, including kids from your prior marriages and any kids that you and your new spouse might have together.
1: We have a situation, a young computer tech entrepreneur, his company got bought out. He got a lot of money. He had already gotten divorced. He's got a couple of years left in the settlement, but he's dating a woman that's much younger than him, and um, he's got the net worth. She wants to start a family, and he's in his 40s, but she doesn't want to sign a prenup. Isn't that a red flag?
0: It's a huge red flag, and I would be asking why? And I would want to get to the bottom of that. And you can work with coaches and marriage counselors, even though they're not married, they can work with couples counselors to try to get to the bottom of what's her real issue. Is her real issue, number one, that she just doesn't understand what it's about? And a little bit of an education would help her be more comfortable moving forward. That's one situation. Or is there something else that's underneath this? Like she just doesn't think it's romantic. Okay, then you got a belief problem, and you got to dig into that. Or is that? Or is it that she just doesn't want to take the risk of having a prenup there? If you know, if they get divorced down the road, and she's a—I mean, I hate to say it—but a little bit of a gold digger. So if I was in his shoes, I'd be looking at why, what's really going on, and is this a person who? I really want to marry because, you know, it, it's great to marry for, for love. I think everyone should do that. But you also have to be on the same page about money and what it says. If he wants a prenup and she doesn't, there's some problem with money between the two of them. That's the issue they need to figure out before they get married so that they don't end up in a divorce lawyer's office having to you know fight over things after the fact.
1: So if you were counseling a couple, if the marriage is salvageable, you would recommend a coach or marriage counseling, but you also recommend a divorce coach. Explain the reason behind that.
0: Divorce coaching is what I do now. And the reason that I I moved into this is because really divorce for most people is about 10% legal. People will know they need a divorce lawyer, and that's great. They're right. They do. However, There's a whole lot of other issues that go along with divorce that people don't think about. They think their lawyer is going to handle everything. And I can tell you from experience, the lawyer is not going to do that. The lawyer doesn't deal with the financial end. I mean, they do on on a certain level, but especially if your finances are complicated, if you have your own business, when are you going to move house? What's the schedule going to be with your children? There are so many issues that you have to figure out. And the truth of the matter is, you if you really want to be where you want to be at the end of your divorce, in other words, to be in a better place, you have to learn how to be the CEO of your own divorce. Well, the problem is divorce is so complicated and there's so much to know about it. No like ordinary person knows all that, or wants to know everything. So a divorce coach is someone who has specialized experience in all areas of divorce, who can guide somebody through the divorce process so that they can be that CEO, even if that's never what, you know, you never wanted to be that. I get that. But at the end of the day, nobody is going to care more about your divorce than you are. So other than just hand your life over to a divorce lawyer and hope everything that works out, it is so much smarter to work with a coach, to work with a financial advisor, to work with, you know, all different kinds of professionals that you need. You put a team together, you're the CEO of that team, but you, you know, you with your team have a better chance of ending up at the end of the divorce in a place that, is best for you, best for your kids, and even best for your ex, although they might not appreciate it.
1: I wonder if you would explain like a legal separation. Uh, We ran across a case many, many years ago where there was a valuable business. They were thinking of getting a divorce, but they, they separated because to get a divorce, it would have created so many complications with the business, especially their children inheriting that business. I wonder if you'd touch upon that and maybe the best way to go about it.
0: A legal separation is it's not an end to a marriage. A divorce ends the marriage. A legal separation um, severs some of the financial ties between the couple, but not all of them. They are still legally married. Um, There are specific reasons to do a legal separation, but 99% of the time it makes zero sense. So historically, Years ago, before COBRA was enacted, it made sense to do a legal separation if one spouse in the marriage was had medical issues or was sick, because then the couple could get legally separated. But because they were still married, the, the sick spouse could stay on the other spouse's health insurance and get insurance when there might have been, at that time, no other way for that spouse to get insurance. And COBRA initially was a less expensive option for health insurance that is not necessarily true anymore and a lot of insurance companies have closed that loophole they've closed the gap and said no if you're legally separated or divorced we're not going to carry the you know the the spouse if you're on an employer policy we're not going to carry the unemployed spouse or the spouse who's not employed with us so it just, there were reasons to do a legal separation. It may resolve some property rights, but it won't, it doesn't end the marriage. So for the vast majority of people, it's not going to be a proper solution. But the thing that you should do, if, if, you, if you're considering divorce, talk to your lawyer about it because again, divorce law is state by state. And so what you have to do to get a legal separation is going to depend on what the laws of your state require.
1: I want to address another issue. We briefly spoke about it, but how to discover if your spouse is hiding assets in the case where uh, the condos in Florida were discovered, also in this particular case, there was $900,000 put into a children's education account for two kids. And then basically, I told my client, the two kids could go to Harvard Medical School and still have money left over.
0: This goes full circle back to the technology because technology can help you find a lot of things that probably were more difficult to find in the past. Um, if you're thinking that your spouse is hiding assets, the first thing that you have to ask yourself is, what's at stake here, right? It's, there's a big difference if you think, if your spouse is a W-2 employee and has been his or her whole life, and everything you do is on, you know, there's there's a paper trail for, and you think that they might have squirreled away, you know, ten thousand dollars. That's one situation. Thinking that, but if your spouse is self-employed, if they're a high income earner, if they're very financially savvy, if they have the ability and the knowledge to hide assets offshore or in different states or in places you wouldn't think about or know about, now you've got a different situation. And if there's a hundred thousand dollars at stake, there's that's a big difference. There's a big difference between ten and hundred or a million, right? Because finding assets is generally speaking an expensive proposition. You have to send some, your lawyer has to send subpoenas to financial institutions. You may have to hire a cyber expert to kind of look and see what are their assets, what can you find d- digitally, and then you have to follow a paper trail. I know of a, of a woman who knew her spouse was hiding assets. She just, she was involved enough in the finances and she was a smart enough woman to know that her husband was hiding a lot of money, but she couldn't prove it. And her lawyer, you know, she kept dogging her lawyer to try to find this money, lawyer couldn't find it. She herself went through every single bank statement and she found a transaction that she had no explanation for. It was worth 37 cents. So she went to the lawyer's office and said, I want you to subpoena this institution. And the lawyer looked at her like she was out of her mind. 37 cents, are you crazy? What are we wasting time and money on this for? Blah, blah, blah. Long story short, the the lawyer finally sent the subpoena to that banking institution. The woman continued to follow the paper trail and found a million dollars.
1: So if you were to boil it down to a couple key things about either getting divorced, considering divorce, what would they be, Karen?
0: make sure that before you do anything number one that this is what you you got to know this is what you want to do. And if you're not sure, that's okay. but work with a marriage counselor, work with a divorce coach. work with somebody to help you get the clarity you need to make a decision that you're confident in because there aren't this is a decision that's hard to bounce back from if you know once the cat's out of the bag. So be sure you of, of your decision. Educate yourself, make sure you understand what you're going into and be prepared. The more prepared you are, the better you plan you have for getting to where you want to be at the end of the divorce, the more likely it is that you're going to end up in that place and not just someplace.
1: So Karen, as we close, tell our listeners about your book, When Happily Ever After Ends, and a lot of the articles you write, which are very educational.
0: Well, thank you. I write a divorce blog. It's at karencovey.com. It's K-A-R-E-N-C-O-V-Y.com. There is no E in my version of Covey, because if there was, I'd be related to someone famous, and I wouldn't have to work for a living. So <laughs> it's karencovey.com, and there's a divorce blog with almost 200 articles on it, on my website. All of it is free. Um, and you can people can go there and, and get educated about divorce. My book is When Happily Ever After Ends, How to Survive Your Divorce Emotionally, Financially, and Legally. It is in its second edition. It is available on Amazon to anyone who cares to look. And of course, I highly recommend that as well.
1: All right. Well, I do too. Karen, thanks so much for joining us on the program. All the best. And I hope to talk to you again in the future.
0: Thank you. I would love to be a guest again. It's It's been lovely. Thank you. financial losses that result from investing in any companies mentioned in financial sense or arising out of the use of any material on the news hour please be advised that you invest at your own risk